Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church. It's a joy to see all of you this morning. We especially want to welcome you if you're here in the sanctuary or if you're joining us on WRR or on our live stream. It's such a joy to be together. If you are here in the sanctuary, we invite you to locate the friendship pads, which are on the ends of your pews, and please record your attendance there. That's a way that we get to know who we're worshiping with and get to know some names. If you're new to Preston Hollow or looking for a church home, you're invited after the service to come out to the atrium to your left and to meet with one of our greeters and learn more about the life and ministry of the congregation. You're also invited to fill out a connection card. Those are in front of you on your pews if you're new to Preston Hollow or visiting for a second or third time. On the back of those connection cards is a prayer card, so if you have something, a joy or a concern that you'd like to share with the pastoral team and the deacons here at Preston Hollow, you can fill out one of those prayer cards and drop it into the offering plate later in the service. A few announcements today, just like this Sunday, where we have two worship services at 10 and 5, next Sunday will also be the same way. So Next Sunday, please come to either 10 a.m. here in the sanctuary or 5 p.m. in Founders Hall. Following the 10 a.m. service at 1045 next Sunday, we're having a congregational meeting to address some staffing updates and to hear a report from the Executive Pastor Nominating Committee. So do make plans to be here at 1045 next Sunday for that meeting. Additionally, after worship next Sunday, there'll be a caregiver training And everyone's invited to participate in this volunteer training course with our Epiphany ministry. Epiphany invites us to live like we belong to one another, especially with our friends and family members with special needs. So uh, if you're interested in volunteering with that program or learning more about being a caregiver to someone with special needs, you're invited to that training. It begins right after the service and the congregational meeting next Sunday. There's more information in your bulletin. And finally... You might have noticed as you came in the atrium today, there are a lot of poinsettias. And so if you would like to take one of those home today, just grab one as as you walk out this morning. You're welcome to take one with you or even multiple. Friends, this is the day that the Lord is still making. So let us rejoice and worship God.
Please join me in our responsive call to worship. Christ is born. Come, let us behold him. God has come to dwell among us. Come, let us rejoice that God is with us. The world is made new, for Emmanuel is here. Come, let us worship and adore him. of great joy and celebration, we know that our lives don't always reflect God's intentions. We confess our shortcomings because we trust that God is listening, that God is ready to make us new. So let us join together in prayer of confession as printed in your bulletin. God of the stable, we never expected our Savior to be born in a barn nor come as a baby. And so we confess that in our expectation of how things should be, we miss what you are doing in our midst. Like the Magi, remind us to be open to wonder and to seek after stars. Help us to let go of the expectations that confine us and live into the mystery of your will. Amen. This is the good news of Christmas. God has drawn near. Just as Mary and Joseph welcomed strangers and guests to the stable, 
God welcomes us with open arms and forgives us our shortcomings. Friends, hear and believe the good news of the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us turn our hearts to God in prayer. Let us pray. A word made flesh. Illuminate the text that we read. Inspire the words that we proclaim. And dwell within us. That we might understand your will for us. And embody your spirit in the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. a poetic description of the person of Jesus Christ and his relationship to the world. So I invite you to listen and to read that by faith you may receive God's word for you this morning as it comes from John 1 beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him And without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light for all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, And his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. In the beginning, in the beginning of a new year, we make resolutions. We resolve to eat better, to exercise more. We resolve to call or text our loved ones, to make amends with those perhaps that we are in heirs with. We resolve to spend less or to save more, or both. We resolve not to live with the burden of past mistakes, but with the hope of a fresh start. We resolve to make lists and to stay on task, to set some goals and to work on achieving them. How's that for a modern-day prologue to the beginning of a new year? Now, some of those resolutions resonated with you, I imagine. And I spotted a few rolling eyes at the sheer notion of making lists. In the beginning, we are convinced that this time, this year, is going to be it. 
We will stick to it, whatever it is for each one of us. But did you know that only about 8% of us stick to the resolutions that we make at the beginning of a new year? According to Forbes magazine, self-improvement, or at least the desire for it, is an American hobby. It's why so many of us, some estimates say more than 40% of Americans make New Year's resolutions. Now, for comparison, about one-third of Americans watch the Super Bowl. So what that means is more of us make New Year's resolutions than watch the Super Bowl. But for all the good intentions, only a tiny fraction of us, that 8%, keep our resolutions and hit our goals, according to researchers at the University of Scranton. But I don't want to rain on anyone's parade. If you're a resolution person, more power to you. Here at the threshold of a new year, this is a time for beginning and becoming. Beginning a new, healthier pattern of living, becoming a better version of yourself than you were in 2018. So, two more days to knock it out, and then it's starting fresh. <laughs> now, just like the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, John begins by telling the story of Jesus coming into the world. But John approaches the story of Jesus' nativity a bit differently than the other Gospels. A lot differently, actually. But it is the account of Christ coming into the world nonetheless. G John's Christmas would be difficult to pull off in a children's pageant. There are no babies lying in a manger. There are no parents traveling a great distance to Bethlehem. There are no angels, no shepherds. There is no star or magi. John doesn't give us much of, a, of an historical account of Christmas. Instead, what he does give us is a confession of faith about the incarnation of God. He isn't so concerned about exactly what happened in Bethlehem during the days of Caesar Augustus or King Herod. He's much more concerned with what we believe about Jesus and how we encounter God in the person of our Savior. There is a famous painting called Holy Family by Rembrandt painted in the 17th century. You might know it. It is housed at the Hermitage Museum in Russia. So if you do know it, I invite you to envision that as I describe it. And if, you're if you don't, then hear my words and perhaps envision it for yourself. In this painting, Rembrandt portrays the nativity as if it was an event taking place during his time. The attire and furnishings are what one would find in a typical Dutch home in the 17th century. Mary is seated with an opened, well-thumbed book that is presumably the scriptures, held open by her left hand, her right hand on the top of a rocking cradle. It's pulled, she is pulled aside a covering to reveal a soundly sleeping Jesus. Mary's head is turned from the book, to gaze upon her baby boy. Immediately behind her, in much fainter light, is Joseph bending over and planing a piece of wood. Above him, in the upper left of the painting, are young angels, cherubim, hovering with outstretched wings. Thomas Traeger says whether or not Rembrandt intended it, the painting is an icon of different ways to encounter and understand the Word of God. On the one hand, there is the Bible, the book that Mary has been reading as Jesus sleeps and Joseph works in the background. The Word of God is to be found in the Scriptures. We read the words and find that we are addressed by the Word of God. We read them again and again. That is why the book is well-thumbed. Rembrandt pictures Mary as one who knows well the word of God and ponders it in her heart. She does not only ponder the page, though, she also ponders the infant beside her, the word made flesh, 
rather than the word made paper and ink. The word is a blood-warmed, breath-enlivened creature sleeping beside his mother. When Mary returns to her reading, she will understand what she reads at a greater depth because she has encountered the word through the word made flesh. And when she reads to the child, she will understand the child at a greater depth because of what she has encountered in the word through the words in the book. Back and forth between word made flesh and word through words, this is the connection and contrast suggested by Rembrandt's painting. So I want to encourage you to look that painting up and perhaps ponder what you've heard this morning. I think all of this is helpful in allowing this morning's scripture passage from John to capture our creative imaginations. For some of us, the language of John is rather abstract, especially compared to the images of Jesus' birth in Matthew and Luke, of the couple seeking shelter on a dark night only to find a place in a barn. We can easily conjure up pictures in our mind's eye of these images, of the young couple with little help maybe from Hallmark or our children's Bibles that we grew up reading or the movies or television. Those pictures are readily available to our creative imaginations. Compared with the nativity stories, John's opening words have a more distant, reflective, intellectual ring to them. Instead of a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger, John sets off echoes that go all the way back to creation. In the beginning was the word. What Matthew and Luke portray in homelier terms, John gives us in grander theological declarations. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. This part of the beginning of John's gospel is more challenging to envision, except the last verse. Eugene Peterson brings it alive with his interpretation. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. When we think of neighborhood, we think of our homes, our dwellings, our most intimate spaces. It is difficult to feel distant from such imagery. This verse, John 1:14, is a great example of why I so appreciate Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of scripture called the message. From time to time, you might hear preachers refer to Peterson's rendition of a passage of Scripture because it can bridge the gap of understanding for us. It helps with verses and stories that feel distant to making them more relatable to our modern-day sensibilities. It is a good companion to read alongside Scripture, but not in place of it. So... If Jesus moved in next door into your neighborhood and Jesus was still savior of the world and not just someone new that we had to get used to, how would we behave? Would we need to act much differently from the ways we treat our neighbors today? Would we need to be more accepting, more understanding, more willing to pay attention to our neighbor and his needs? It's worth pondering how we might describe who we would need to become to truly be Jesus' neighbor. This is the season of beginning and becoming. It's a time when we celebrate the coming of the Savior of the world into our hearts and to our very lives. What difference does it make for you and for me that Christ has come? Perhaps prioritizing time spent with those you love and with those who love you. Perhaps it's prioritizing time to come to get to know someone that you have avoided for one reason or another. Perhaps working toward reconciliation with 
someone or offering forgiveness, maybe allowing yourself to receive forgiveness. I was reminded this week that Ernest Hemingway told the story of the Spanish father who wanted to be reconciled with his son, who ran away from home to the city of Madrid. The father misses the son and puts an advertisement in the local paper, El Liberal. The advertisement read, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. Paco is such a common name in Spain that when the father went to the Hotel Montana the next day at noon, there were 800 young men <laughs> named Paco waiting for their father. Hemingway's story reminds us of a, of a central difference Christ's coming into the world can mean for us and for the world in which we live. So here we are at the end of a calendar year and at the threshold of a new one. Theoretically, this season of beginning and becoming is open-ended. What will you begin? Who will you become? Who will you forgive? With whom might you work toward reconciliation? So what we might call the Christian, the Christmas, what we might call the Christmas confession of John's community extends beyond a baby being born and wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. It is the belief that he existed before creation and comes and lives among us even John can remind us that Christmas is more than all the pageantry of the nativity or the Christmas trees and the candlelight services. Christmas is a concrete demonstration of God's love for all humanity, an intentional expression of God's love for us. The more traditional Christmas accounts found elsewhere are treated as temporary. They happened back then. I remember years ago when I was a resident pastor, resident minister at First Presbyterian in Ann Arbor, Michigan, one of my responsibilities was to call at the hospitals to visit people who were hospitalized. St. Joseph's Hospital is one of the smaller hospitals uh, outside of Ann Arbor. And near the entrance to that hospital during the holiday season, I noticed a wonderful life-sized and lifelike nativity scene complete with the stable structure and all the figures of the story, the manger and the, the hay and, and all of the people and the livestock, they were all a part of this, the baby being at the center. It was really lovely. But then, but then I started to walk away, and as I walked away, what was not so wonderful was that I noticed a tire. The structure was on wheels. The whole thing was on a trailer. And they hadn't done the best job of sort of, you know, covering that part up. And I started looking closer and I could see the trailer, the thing, the, the neck of it that connects to the hitch and everything. And I was like, oh, that's, that's not so nice. But then I thought further, you know, that's, that's kind of how we treat the nativity scene each year. We wheel it out in December. We take our pictures in it in the atrium. And then we wheel it back into storage the rest of the year. So a message that we can take from John today is that even though soon enough the decorations will be stored away until next Christmas, the story is more encompassing more overarching, more compelling. Christ was before all things, is in all things today, and will be in all things in the future. All of that which is yet to come. That's who we celebrate in this season. 
the past, the present, and the future, the existence of Christ in it all. It's not easy to put that on a trailer and wheel it into storage. John's account is a bit surprising to us as well. Read alongside the other stories of God's son's arrival, John startles us with the reality that Christ came to his own people, but they did not know him. They did not recognize him. They were missing what the Christian story was intended to be for them. I wonder if we, too, miss Christ because of all of the things that can distract us. They're lovely things. Beautiful music, lights, parties, family and friends. It's all good stuff, but does it distract us from allowing ourselves to carry forward the message that we celebrate into January and February and March and on into the year? Are we missing that story? Are we about to put it away into storage until next year? I think John's words to us tell us not to do that. In her collection of poetry for Advent and Christmas, called Kneeling in Bethlehem, Anne Weems writes this poem. The title is Gifts from God, and it begins with these familiar words of Scripture. The steadfast love of the Lord ceases. God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. The Lord God gave the peoples of the earth a garden, and the people said, that's very nice, God, but that's not enough. We'd like a little knowledge, please. The Lord God gave them knowledge, and the people said, now that we have knowledge, we like things. The Lord God gave the people things, but they always said, that's not quite enough. So the Lord God gave them gifts unequal. The sun, lightning and thunder, rain and flowers, animals and birds and fish, trees and stars and the moon. God gave them the rainbow. God parted the Red Sea and gave them manna. God gave them prophets and children and each other. But still, the people said, that's not quite enough. God loved the people. And out of ultimate merciful goodness, God gave them the gift of gifts. A Christmas present never to be forgotten. God gave them love in the form of God's Son, even Christ Jesus. There are some that don't open their eyes or their ears or their hearts, and they still say, that's not quite they wander through the stores looking for Christmas, but others open their whole being to the Lord, bending their knees to praise God, carrying Christmas with them every day. For these, the whole world is a gift. All thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for Christmas. We give you thanks for the significance of your love born to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We pray this day that you would help us carry Christmas with us each and every day of the year, and that we would find encouragement, and that we would give encouragement, that we would forgive and be forgiven, that we would know and be known, that we would see and be seen. Help us, Lord, to know your nearness as we enter this new season of life together, that we may celebrate you and your coming into the world and into our very lives. 
Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. As a Christmas people, I invite you to rise in body or in spirit and let us join in one voice in affirming our faith As Jesus Christ is God's assurance of the forgiveness of all our sins, so in the same way and with the same seriousness is he also God's mighty claim upon our whole life. Through him befalls us a joyful deliverance from the godless fetters of this world for our free, grateful service to God's creatures.
may be seated. Friends, as a community that prays with and for one another, I would remind you that outside of the north transept to your left, there are prayer letters that are sent to those who are experiencing joys and concerns, and we invite you to sign those letters as a signature that marks your prayer with and for them. We have a number of joys and concerns to lift up this morning. First, we pray for Anne and Terry O'Hara, whose son Patrick died unexpectedly on Friday. We also pray for the family of Charles Bo Miller, who died this week. His memorial service will be here on Tuesday, January 8th at 2 p.m. We also pray for Martha Meyercord Wilson on the death of her husband, Bill Wilson. His memorial service will be at Highland Park Presbyterian on Friday, January 4th at 4 p.m. And finally, we celebrate the birth of Lily Kate Bateman, who was born on December 17th to John and Sarah Bateman, and her grandparents are Kathy and Mark Bateman. Friends, let us pray together. God in the manger, we come to you with great thanksgiving for the gift of your presence in this world. We are those who have been waiting. We are those who have been suffering. We are those who have been crying out for justice. And so because you have found us in this world, we raise our voices to say, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Thank you for the gifts of hope, peace, joy, and love, and for glimpses of these gifts in the world today, in time with the ones we love, in healing and reconciliation, in new relationships, and in old conflicts laid aside. As we come together in unity in prayer, help us to strive for unity in the world. Help us to build bridges and to reach across the chasms that divide us. Teach us to be healers and bless us with the gift of empathy. And for those who suffer this day, wrap your arms in care around those who are sick and dying. Send comfort to those who grieve and feel alone in this life. Lift up the downtrodden and bind up the brokenhearted. Intervene in places of conflict that all wars and violence might cease. Jesus, Emmanuel, God made flesh, send your love to us and remind us that you have come to dwell among us. In thanksgiving, let us pray the prayer which your son taught, saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Christmas is a time for giving, and surely we have all been recipients of many gifts this season. And so together we give thanks for the greatest gift ever given, the gift of God coming to earth to dwell with us. And so in this Christmas season, we give out of this profound sense of joy. Today, we celebrate that we have received over 660 commitments to the life and ministry of this congregation in 2019. We're only 70 commitments short of our goal, and it is so important for us to remember together that together we are the light of Christ in this world, and we celebrate Christmas throughout this entire year. So let us joyfully give to the one who came to be with us.
May we rise up and join you with joy in the season of giving, for you gave us a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You give us life and breath. You fill the world with beauty and our hearts with a desire to give. Accept these gifts and multiply them in the world that all may know of your wonders and your love. In your holy name we pray. Amen.
Friends, the peace of God which passes all our understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be and abide with you this day and every day. Go in peace. Thank you.